0: The What to Know podcast explores best practices, innovation, and latest trends with industry experts with an eye toward helping you, the listener, stay ahead of the ever-changing marketing and communications landscape. Good afternoon. This is Aaron Strout, CMO of W2O and host of the What to Know podcast show. And today I have the uh, unique pleasure of interviewing one of my incredibly talented colleagues, Dan Linton. Dan is the global Data Privacy Officer here at W2O. So welcome, Dan.
1: Thank you for having me, Aaron. I'm happy to be here.
0: It's always a pleasure. And I do mean that. You have such an in-depth knowledge of a lot of different spaces. And we'll talk more about your role as Global Data Privacy Officer in a minute as we lead into this uh, report that we want to talk about as well that you and your team just created. But um, I like to start with my guest's background. You've actually had a pretty diverse background, although one that I would say is uniquely suited for the role you play today, because you've done marketing communications, you've done, you know, data and analytics, and now you're focused on the privacy element of it. Let's walk through sort of how you got started. And like, were you one of those people who came out of school and said, I know exactly what I want to do? Or was it a, let me test my sort of, you know, test my skills in a few different spaces and see where we land. That was definitely my approach, by the way. (laughs)
1: <laughs> uh, well, yeah, my career um, is an interesting journey. If you go all the way back to the days when I was in school, I was in uh, college for uh, biology and zoology, So, um, which of course had nothing to do with anything where I ended up with. But um, <clears throat> what what happened was is I went to school and then um, the first uh, few jobs I got outside of school were actually uh, marketing related. And I quickly realized I was suddenly in a position to be, not only was it interesting to me, um, but I was also more financially successful than I would ever be being a research biologist. So uh, at the time I was, you know, <laughs> more interested in the financial rewards than anything else. So I ended up um, mostly in, uh, in marketing and where I started was a, a marketing department as a just a um, a marketing coordinator, and I actually was involved in creating some of the uh, some large in person seminars that the company was delivering. And as a result, I was the first person to uh, get a company laptop that had PowerPoint on it. And it was so unreliable back then that I had to have the company's second laptop as a backup because we were traveling all over the place. Um, and, we, and we didn't have time to uh, deal with IT problems. Um, from there, I just became more specialized in um, in digital. So a- after that, I became a a website developer of all things, a self-taught website developer. I was building websites for my employers um, back in the days when Dreamweaver was how you built websites. Um, through that, I became interested and involved in analytics back when Google Analytics was urchin. You know, sort of revealing my age here. I'm not sure that's a good idea, but, um, <clears throat> and, uh, from there just became more and more specialized in digital and marketing analytics. Uh, and then about six or seven years ago, one of my uh, bosses, um, was a bit prescient and she suggested that privacy was going to become a big issue. And we'd all in my industry have been kind of noticing that, you know, the amount of data that you could capture was, voluminous and only increasing and becoming more and more sensitive. But this was before anybody else really cared about it and before it was a thing. Um, But uh, she encouraged me back then to take the available training, which was um, it's called the certified information privacy professional designation. It's available through the international association of privacy professionals. And it's currently the only official certification that you can get. Uh, I first got that, uh, for the U.S. back in uh, well about six or seven years ago, on the recommendation of this boss, um, I didn't really use it full time. It was more of a side interest back then, and it didn't privacy didn't really blow up uh, as my boss back then had predicted as quickly as she thought it would. But eventually, it became a big, bigger and bigger deal. And then in May 2018, with GDPR, um, it became a very big deal. And that's when it kind of became my uh, full-time job. I was working at W2O as a managing director of analytics and doing kind of privacy on the side. And then because W2O is really such a, such a data-driven organization, it became obvious that, the, that we needed a, a full-time data privacy person. And um, it became, instead of being my side hustle, it became my full-time job. And here we are.
0: Well, here we are. And I, I think, as I mentioned, you're uniquely suited because uh, I didn't know about the, uh, the background, the zoology piece. I was a Russian studies major, so equally useful you know, <laughs> in terms of my current job. But I did love the fact that, you know, you've spent times in marketing communications. You know, I think um, you were at uh, Deep Focus for a while. You were at Cardinal uh, Path, you know, focused on search worked at Intel for a while before, you know, which is when I first met you and then joined us. And why I like that is, and I will say, you know, we are colleagues, but in full disclosure, one of the things I really appreciate about you is the fact that you do your job extremely well, but you also have a good understanding of why I'm trying to do my job. So I'm the, the head of marketing and there are times where you get people and in our um, general counsel, Rami uh, Horn is fantastic as well. But when you get people that truly understand sort of what you're trying to do and how you're trying to do it, it makes it so much easier versus when you get someone that's just, you know, maybe they went to school, they were a lawyer and that's kind of what they learned, right? Or maybe they were just like a data wonk. And so all they understand is sort of the uh, the ones and zeros, but they don't really take the time to understand the forces behind it, right? So the fact that it, When we decided that you were going to move into that global uh, data privacy lead, it it felt like it made total sense because I knew that you had this background. I didn't realize that you know you had had the certifications as early as you did, but I do remember when GDPR came along, and now we have CCPA, which is the California equivalent, and I think being adopted across a lot of different fronts. So one of the things I do want to talk about that's related to this, and this is germane because Again, you're not the guy that's just sitting here blocking everyone and telling them what they can't do. You actually took a proactive step and um, were prescient in this regard. And back sort of pre COVID, came up with this idea for a consumer attitudes on healthcare data uses and privacy report. That's one of the main reasons we're talking because the day this goes live will be the day that we put out a press release and make the report available to people. So I do want to dive into that a little bit. And let's start with the. Why did we decide to field it, right? And I—that's a little bit of a leading question because obviously this is a good, good time to talk about that. But you know, what was the, the driving force, and what got you as this guy that's you know sp- supposedly keeping us and clients out of trouble, saying I'm actually going to be proactive on this, and I'm going to go out and do some research and you know help our clients find some stuff out.
1: Yeah. Well, um, W two invested in this this study, and and the the main goal for this wave of it anyway was to create kind of a privacy playbook for our clients. Um, of course, privacy is, is rising up in, in not only in people's awareness, but also in terms of additional legislation. Uh, it's getting more complicated with international data flows and so on. Um, and there's a lot of miscommunication that goes on related to privacy when certain things happen, whether they be a data breach or, um, when a healthcare company gets involved with a big tech vendor, for example, um, those things can create potentially hot button type privacy issues. And um, what we wanted to do was to create uh, this this playbook based on the study results that helped our clients navigate those types of privacy related issues before they became kind of front you know front page headline news. And and that was kind of our initial thinking was is how can we understand what are what are the most important things that our clients should do when they're facing down one of these situations. Um, whether that be, as I said, a data breach or a big data sale, for example. Um, or in particularly we see uh, with when big tech gets involved with health data, it tends to create concerns amongst the general population. So we really tried to delve into that with the study Um, and try to understand not just general perceptions of, you know, are people being more or less concerned with data privacy? Are they more or less concerned with health data versus other types of data? But also, um, what are the types of uh, situations that healthcare and pharma companies might face? Um, And how would the general public react to that? And how would they like... um, healthcare and pharma companies to sort of prepare them for it. So that's, that's really the goal here. Um, Then we were actually planning to do this study before um, COVID came along and and then the pandemic happened. And with that, we saw the rise of a couple of things, particularly digital health um, and contact tracing. And so we included that in the study. Um, for better or for worse, COVID happened just as we were getting ready to launch. So we kind of delayed the study and included that um, to try to understand how privacy perceptions um, might impact those things and how um, our clients and other folks could um, help sort of allay people's uh, fears about privacy related to these things and what types of communication would help them Um, overcome those fears so that they might be more tempted to, for example, download a contact tracing app. So that's, that was really the goal is to provide something very actionable to our clients um, when they're facing one of these issues to tell them exactly what level of communications they need to do with whom based on, you know, some kind of scientific rigor. Well, it makes sense, and certainly, I think a lot
0: of people haven't even started to think about the impact that COVID and the contact tracing. You know, when we do go back to work in whatever form that looks like, there's going to be a lot of that, right? Because there's a lot of very sensitive data being passed around. Let's talk a little bit about. I, I think you know one of the things I've always made sure we as teams, as we're talking to clients, people love to know about the methodology, right? And I know we are very specific about how we went about this. So maybe talk through sort of how we fielded the study. How many people were involved? What the questionnaire looked like?
1: Yeah, for sure. This is actually a second wave. Um, we had originally um, done a similar survey uh, l- last year um, that asked kind of similar attitudinal questions. But this year, we were very focused on these um, hypothet- these this playbook approach. So we did uh, use a survey-based research study. It was about 1,000 people, and it was generally representative of the American population. The uh, across the board, because everybody's a patient, right? So <laughs> we really wanted um, demographic, educational, household factors were all kind of leveled out to be as as close to a complete representation of the, the general American population as we could. And certainly there was, in terms of actual methodology, there were certainly lots of the usual attitudinal questions using Likert scales and, and things like that. But in addition to that, we also used these um, hypothetical scenario questions. It was a really unique approach that Dave Johnson on our research team came up with. And um, the idea was is that you start out with a very high level high level general question, like how comfortable are you with a company sharing your health data with another organization? And that's it, just super high level and, and kind of measure the responses. And then we layer on qualifiers. So things like would you be more willing to share that data if it was completely anonymous? Or would you be willing to share that data if it helped improve health outcomes for other people? Um, or would the involvement of a big tech company like Google, for example, change your mind one way or the other? And in that way, we drilled down to a very specific set of what's good and helpful and encouraging for people to share their data and what's potentially uh, a negative. And of course, we at w are, you know, one of our kind of core fundamental beliefs is, is that... Um, health data can change the world for, for good. And one of the, the real primary goals here was to look for ways to encourage people to start sharing their health data in certain situations so that we can start helping healthcare and medicine at, at large become more effective by, by um, making greater use of healthcare data. So um, we asked the, these very specific questions, We asked uh, them around general health applications, so things like Google Health and Apple Health. We We asked about tracing apps, and we asked about general types of data sales and data breaches and things like that, all with these hypothetical scenarios, which, again, were designed to identify, okay, if you're a company or an organization that's wanting to do this, here's what you need to communicate to patients or to consumers before you do it. So that they'll be more comfortable or more likely to engage with, with whatever that study or health app or website or whatever it happens to be actually is. Um, and that was, uh, that was kind of the really unique part of this one as far as I'm, I, I can see. So we had some unique takeaways, you know, from this very thorough
0: study. And I love the fact that, you know, we had the log- longitudinal view Let's talk about some of those. And the first one um, is—it's actually the second one—but I I want to talk about it in particular because you touched on it. And it says education about the critical need that health data can fulfill is a problem. Tell us what that means and why is that so important, especially right now? As you know, we have these two forces where we need more of it than ever, but people are retrenching. I think because of the fact that you have the Google and Ascension health, you know, snafu and other issues that you've had with data providers. Facebook, I know, has had their hands slapped for some of the things that they've done. Tell us a little bit about what you mean <clears throat> talk about that point.
1: Sure, yeah, absolutely. So, the this was actually reinforced kind of across a bunch of different data points within the survey. Um, it was super clear, though, that most people don't know where their data goes, generally speaking. They don't know who's collecting it. They don't know what they're doing with it. Um, and when it comes to health data, for example, um, only 34% of the respondents thought that insurance companies might be collecting their health care data, which of course they are. Um, and and even less when you talk about health websites and applications, um, only 5% su- suggested from an unaided question anyway, that, that health websites or apps might be collecting their health data. So there's this general lack of knowledge. And to be honest, as a analytics professional. None of this surprised me at all. Um, most people don't know how, um, data is collected or used, certainly on the internet, but, um, in a variety of other places. And, and this research just reinforced that. But at the same time, people are super uh, concerned, particularly about their health care data, that it uh, remains private. So you've got this kind of strange combination of nobody really knows, who's collecting it or what they're doing with it. But at the same time, there's also this general anxiety about what's it being used for um, and what kind of decisions are being made with it. We saw some big concerns in the survey related to people being worried that their healthcare data might be used to increase their insurance premiums or to impact their their job applications for employment, things like that. Um, So they were very concerned that that healthcare data remained private. Um, but that said, no one really knows the kind of the, the positive side of healthcare data sharing. They're only focused on negatives like data breaches and, and, and things like that. Um, only 24% of the people responding um, believe that data collected could be used to develop new drug therapies. Or, and, and less than 30% believed it was being used to improve healthcare outcomes. And what that tells me is that um, the industry as a whole has not done a very good job of communicating the benefits of sharing data. They either try to sneakily get permission through some kind of 20-page privacy policy or release form, which I think I'm the only person alive that reads them. <laughs> um, um, or uh, they, they try to do it on the back end th- through that you a know, scenario like Google and Ascension where they're dealing with a sub vendor and they, they, they don't feel, they're not legally required to ask permission uh, of their consumers. So they don't tell them anything. And then a reporter finds out about it and it becomes front page news. So there's this clear general lack of awareness, A and B, the, the industry is not doing anything to, to help a, improve that awareness or B communicate the, the kind of the benefits of, of people participating in that. So, uh we saw it over and over again in different data points. We saw it across both waves. It was very consistent. Um so uh, and we at W2O being a marketing communications agency, obviously, this is a key, key piece um that we can help our clients with. Yeah, let's talk a little bit more about that.
0: So uh obviously this is, you know, we want we want to put good back into the universe so this research project was helpful in just us sharing this news, and it's what we're doing right now. But part of that is to help our clients. And I think we've touched on some of the points where you know there can be a benefit. Um, let's, let's spend a couple of minutes on that. And one that I was, I guess, maybe not shocked about, but COVID-related, since we do have a number of clients that are working on solutions, treatments, vaccines for COVID, less than 30% of baby boomers, um, those who might benefit most from COVID-19 interventions, indicated a willingness to download a contact tracing application compared to 65% of millennials and Gen Z. So part of that I'm sure speaks to sort of the, their, their, um, their nature of, you know, are they comfortable with technology? Are they comfortable with these things? But I was surprised that 35%, you know, 35% difference or 35 points difference between those two. Were you, were you surprised? And how do we, you know, help overcome some of these, uh, assumptions, I think, that, you know, these audiences that really could use it and could benefit from it uh, are, you know, being handicapped with.
1: Yeah, well, I think you hit the nail on the head. I was, I was surprised. I mean, I I did expect some difference among, uh, you know, the generations, but I had no idea it would be so stark. And that data point that you quoted was one question, but we actually saw the same thing kind of across the board um, baby boomers, you know, kind of people 55 and up were generally much more distrustful, uh, and much less willing to share data in any scenario compared to, um, younger folks, millennials, Gen Z, and even my lonely Gen X folks. Um, and we didn't actually, because we didn't expect that we didn't we didn't ask, you know, in, in wave three, we're going to definitely ask why that is. Um, but our general assumption is just like you mentioned, which is that, you know, there's a general distrust of technology and a general, a general distrust of big tech amongst that generation. Um, so um, they are less, less likely with limited information to engage in that kind of data sharing, whether it be for COVID tracing apps, or general health apps, or even just in general. The the interesting part is is that we, part of the survey, (laughs) that identified the problem, but the survey, and it'll be available in the full results, clearly identified what could help even boomers, who are the most distrustful, to kind of overcome that distrust and be more willing to participate in these types of efforts. not surprisingly, generally speaking, it's knowing that their data is safe and secure. It's knowing that their data, if possible, is totally anonymous and not uh, relatable back to them. Um, and see that if uh, it is to be shared or used by any other organization, that they have the 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 right to opt in it was uh very clear that people wanted to grant permission and this was across the board but again we saw it very distinctly in the boomers that for any type of data sharing or data usage people wanted uh the uh the ability to to say yes or no essentially and the one thing that would influence that yes or no which the study un- uncovered as well was whether what was the what was the perceived benefits for gain and the the one big surprise for me was is that I thought most people would be willing to share their health data if it was going to help them directly, you know, very one-to-one sharing this data is going to like cure my disease or whatever it happens to be. Um, but actually people were far more interested in sharing their data, including boomers. If there was an altruistic bend, if it was going to help medicine as a whole, if it was going to help other people, um uh, who were in similar medical situations as they were, uh, if it was going to improve medicine or pharmaceuticals, generally speaking. That was by far the number one reason why w- that would encourage people to share data. Now, the COVID contact tracing app had some much more specifics, like you know people would be less likely to download it if government were involved or if big tech were involved versus, let's say, uh, a, an independent third party, things like that, which were very interesting. But again, across the board, people were willing to share if they knew that that data was going to be used for altruistic purposes, and less likely if it was just going to be um, either used against them or, or, used, or, or used for other purposes that they didn't know about. So again, pointing to the big need for education and helping consumers understand how data is going to improve healthcare and health outcomes. Well, it's great prescriptive advice,
0: and I'm excited for this report to get out into our clients' hands as well as other healthcare professionals. I do want to do two sort of rapid-fire questions, more on the lighter side. This is usually how we wrap up. So, thank you for sharing. Um, the first is a question I've started to ask all my guests, and it's the you know proverbial uh, genie, right? You get one wish, uh, <laughs> you get anything you want. What would you pick, and why?
1: Uh, I thought long and hard about this question and I, and I came to a very distinct conclusion and that was I would wish that I could eat unlimited desserts with no consequences I, I really, you know I thought well would I want to fly you know like would I want a magic carpet but no it, it, I, I want to be able to eat banana cream pie and neither my waistline nor my cholesterol levels would be impacted that would that would be my my dream. <laughs> I love it. That's a, that is a very
0: interesting and I'm surprised of all people to hear you say that, but I, that's a great one. And just to connect dots, you and Brian Speck are big banana cream pie guys. So, yes, nice, nice. uh, another colleague at W2O. So, you'll have to chat about that. Last connection. question you asked for a unique twist on this one um, because I usually ask about the Deserted Island album. You said, I'm more of a book guy, so if you are stuck on a deserted island, this is an interesting take, by the way, because book is much different than listening to music. Uh, you can only take one book with you that you're going to read and refer to over and over again. Which book would you take and why?
1: Yeah, so one of my favorite books is actually a collection of short stories called um, Tales Told Around the Celestial Campfire. It's by an author named Joseph Carabas, And um, I picked it because, A, it's a bunch of short stories. So it's not just like, it's kind of, you know, it's not just one big experience, but you can have a variety of different experiences. It's a combination of science fiction and fantasy stories. But what really appeals to me about it is that the author can capture a wide variety of different emotions. It's not just a, an exciting book or a scary book or a romantic book. It's a, all of those things in different pieces. It's like a dictionary of being human. And it's kind of really remarkable for me how, Each story, while being completely separate, you know, reflects this unique piece of human experience. Um, Plus, there's a spaceship that's super vengeful and a talking moose, and you really can't get better than
0: that. Well, that that kind of sums it all all up right there. Uh, And I love your thinking on that, by the way. That really is what I'm trying to get at. So with that, I will wrap us up. Really appreciate your time, Dan. This is Aaron Strout host of the What to Know and uh, CMO of W2O, my colleague and resident smarty, Dan Linton, who is our global <laughs> data privacy officer. Thank you so much for taking the time.
1: Thank you, Aaron. Thank you very much.
0: Want more episodes of the What to Know podcast? We post a new episode every Thursday. Check them out on iTunes, the podcast app, and the podcast page at w2ogroup.com backslash Know.